yeah. I love my HBCU. And boy, I love it, love it. I love it, love it. I love my HBCU. And man, I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah, man. I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah, I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouse. But if they won, keep tab. Uh, I'ma do the dab, yeah. Yeah. He know what he be talking about. Talkin Mike about. and Charles, Talk. they know what they be talking about. Yeah. Talkin they about. compress the analytic data with your hip hop. Yeah. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot of love. So listen to Professor, yes, sir. This is Dr. Ville with Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles. Bishop, welcome to episode 213 of Inside the HBC Sports Lab Radio Show and Podcast. The show that's covering the sporting HBC dash while things HBC sports from institutions large and small, from NEIA to the NCAA, we share insights and information on the HBC sports culture, HBCU athletic aesthetics, facilitate the story of HBCU athletic programs and the business of HBCU sports. I'm your host, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, with my co-host, Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. We're filming from our home studios and send a signal live to Caseway 1230 AM studios with the Texas Radio Hall of Famer, Ralph Cooper, in a beautiful home of Texas Southern University from Houston, Texas. Today's episode of Inside the HBCU Sports Lab is sponsored by THG Agency. THG Agency is a company that provides sporting and education consulting and data analytics. With that being said, let me jump into it. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, Doc. I'm up here in the north, upper northeast. It's, it's about 20 degrees on average colder than it is in Texas. I'm sorry, 25 degrees colder than it is in Texas, but I love this brisk, cool air. Looking forward to this weekend, baby. No, they're doing too much. I know you're military. It's all in your mind. I already know what you're going to say. It's all in your mind. The, the cold is all in your mind, I'm telling you. Yes, <laughs> you, can have, you can have all that in the mind. What's going on, y'all? Doing great, Doc. It is championship week. Looking forward to the SWAC championship this weekend. Uh, tremendous uh, call the other day in terms of listening to the coaches uh, on the media call the other day. So looking forward to this weekend. This is going to be fun. Charles, is, there's a game going on this weekend? I heard there's a game going on this weekend. I, hold on. Yeah, I, I heard there's a game going on this weekend <laughs> in, in Jackson. In Jackson. <laughs> the catfish will be frying. There you go. <laughs> Amongst some other things, Friday. as well. With that being said, let's get into some news. I'm going to send this off to you, Charles, as a golf aficionado. I know that uh, this has hit heavy with you, um, just like all of us, but particularly for you and your affinity for the sport of golf. Go ahead and lead us off uh, with that. Yeah, we'll start off on a, on a sad note. Uh, the passing of Lee Elder, who was uh, who in 1975 he became the first uh, black man to compete in the Masters tournament. So it's a, a huge loss for, for the African American golf community. A huge loss for the golf community at home. Uh, but you're talking about uh, one of the pioneers. There would be no Tiger Woods if, if not for Lee Elder. So I definitely want to pass along our condolences uh, to Lee Elder, and uh, it's just. It's a huge loss when you talk about guys such as Lee Elder, Charlie Sifford. Uh, those guys are the precursor to Tiger Woods. Without a doubt. And if you remember just back November 9th, 2020, there was an article that came out 
in terms of Augusta honoring elder with the uh, endowed scholarship yes. at HBCU Payne College. So there is that HBCU tie here uh, up more than just uh, obviously when you talk about elder um, and his African-American black connections, uh, that was a huge announcement that um, was doing the midst when we were dealing with all this uh, framing in terms of the pandemic, what I call the racial uh, pandemic as well in terms of that. So that's significant. I'd yeah. be remiss if I didn't give a mic a chance to respond and give his thoughts as well. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a big deal because uh, my uncle could not play golf, my parents, but they knew Lee Elder. So mm. they, they didn't know a thing about the game, but they knew who he was. Here, here, the little known fact, he was, a, you know, the first African-American on the Ryder Cup. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, I, you know, a lot of folks didn't know it. Um, you know, and this tip off, I think it was 2020 at the uh, um, at the Augusta, at Augusta National at the uh, Masters. He couldn't swing a club, but I thought it fitting that they honored him and the crowd cheered him when about 30 years previous to that, they were booing him and getting death threats. He couldn't sleep in the same hotel as the other players. So he had to endure a lot to pave the way for for Tiger Woods. So my, I mean, ultimate respect. He pushed Jack Nicholas to a five-hole playoff near his hometown. A lot yeah. of people don't know that. So uh, much respect to Lee Elder. So um, I don't golf as much as uh, CB. I've gotten back into the game, but much respect. So much respect. Great points made by both. As we get a little more into it, shout out to the lab listeners out there, Sarah Beverly, Judith Miller. Ricky Burden is in the lab. A.D. Drew is on, making sure that he gets a part of this lecture. Jerome Chief Sullen, Sutton, I should say, Swag Championship Week. Let's go, Cat. So he's into this championship as well. Sounds like uh, he's wanting to keep it in the East. I see that, Karen Griffin, college football coaching carousels turning around. Yes, and that's going to go all the way and affect HBCUs. We're still waiting on some announcements. In fact, in terms of HBCU game day, we just learned that Johnson C. Smith will be making uh, coaching changes. They will be going into a coaching direction. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on as the carousel continues to go in circles. Jimmy Wilson is in the house. Good evening, faculty. Uh, give a shout out to Jimmy. You know, it's his really his time of the season. As he's in basketball waiting to get in the conference. And we had a, a little nice displacement as you get away from your games on Saturday getting prepared for the SWAC championship game. You had a lot of HBCU Division I matchups. Obviously, Division II NIA is in some swings, so you can get some of those matchups. But this past Sunday, you had the Chris Paul Invitational uh, where you saw some matchups between HBCU programs, inter-collegiate uh, matchups, conference matchups. Obviously, that one from Norfolk State and Hampton. Norfolk State got it done. Then they came back and got a win against Gramlin, which was a de facto championship game because Gramlin the day before beat Morgan State. So essentially you had Norfolk State going 2-0 in that tournament. Uh, you had Gramlin go 1-1. You also had Morgan State going 1-1, and, and you had Hampton go 0-2. Thus far on the season, uh, you have the SWAC at 4-1 against uh, HBCU competition. Interesting. You had the early matchup, right? which is fascinating in terms of where SWAC is. Obviously, you don't necessarily in the non-conference win section, but when you got a chance to see some of those matchups, uh, you got to 
done. You have obviously the win by Alabama A&M, which was the first one played against Southern. Then you had uh, Alabama State beating North Carolina Central. And then you had uh, Southern defeating Tennessee State, which was an early game on the Sunday morning. I got to watch through. Went back and forth, and then Southern pulled it out late, getting it done. And then, obviously, you had Grambling beating Morgan State, which took them to 4-0, and then you get the first loss when Norfolk State defeats Morgan, uh, beat, defeats Grambling. Game that uh, went down with Norfolk State pulling out late. Fascinating to see what's going on there. Kudos to Norfolk State, though. They're up to 8-1. and one. They're playing some yeah. good Good basketball. So yeah. We them out. As we turn the thing and we'll get back into football. Uh, but any comments on that before we get into some of these postseason honors for the SWAC? Yeah, I think number one, it's just fun. Uh, getting to watch some out of conference matchups uh, with two HBCUs going against each other. I was thoroughly. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Sunday Southern and Tennessee State going back and forth uh, to, you know, blue blood basketball program. So it's always fun when you get these matchups, then you get the Chris Paul matchups uh, over there. That, that was fun. A lot of fun uh, just watching these HBCU teams uh, go against each other. And finally, seeing some matchups, you know, uh, uh, with uh, Swag versus Miak and things of that nature. It's a lot of fun. The other thing, if I get your comments on this, Mike, is – it was done on a Sunday, Monday, coming off of Thanksgiving. Oddly enough, it really was a, a great idea in terms of that time frame. Good primetime television because they split between ESPN2 and ESPNU. Um, and then uh, they transitioned on Monday where they went to the streaming platform. But I'm like, I plan to check that out next year. Now, it's my understanding that the original plans are having in Bahamas. It's going to be interesting to see if they like what took place and they keep it in Phoenix or will they transition and move it to Bahamas? Either way, if they stick with that Sunday, Monday type format, that's something that I might like to do. You can get your Thanksgiving in, spend time with family and then take off uh, and see some good uh, D one HBCU basketball. He also obviously does the division two uh, program, which took place a couple of weeks ago that we talked about, but any final thoughts on that for you, Mike? No, just in general, good basketball. I, I echo what CB says. The other thing is I'm kind of looking at the overlay, at least particularly for the SWAC and for the MEAC. And I've looked, we've looked at it at this point and said, hey, you know, they're playing out of conference game. But I don't know, just at a bird's eye view, it looks like both sides, both divisions are doing much better against out of conference competition. You know, Southern has a win against Tulane. Mm. Alcorn has, you know, a win. It's not much. I don't know this, you know, I'd have to dig deeper into the data. Uh, Alcorn has a win against like a Milwaukee. So it just seemed like I've seen it chance times in the past where, you know, we start off the season and out of 90 something games, swag schemes, swag schools only won three or four of those games. It seems like much more this year. I don't know if it's mm. higher competitiveness. I don't know what it is, but that's just my early, my early, a summary and assessment on what I've seen thus far. No, I think you make a great point. Shout out Jackson State. He got a big win. Uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. yeah, it was a big win. So I think you're right on the money when you talk about it's more Division One wins, at least at this point already on the season. I think it's scheduling a better, uh, if you would. And I know that's been a priority for Dr. McCullough, Charles, the commissioner. So I, commissioner, so I think that's been part of it. Uh, and then I think there is a better – play in the conference. They're going to have a lot more to step up to get it done, but it is nice to see 
Let's get into some of these swag announcements. 2001 football postseason honors. Uh, obviously, you have Alabama AM and Kill Glass was selected Offensive Player of the Year, while Florida AM's Isaiah Land was to have Defensive Player of the Year. Jackson State James Houston was named Newcomer of the Year, and Jackson State Shador Sander was selected Freshman of the Year accolades, while Jackson State Deion Sanders was to have Coach of the Year. Cody, as he liked to say, on the press conference that had me roll as he's going to go get a chain because somebody asked him about recruiting. Obviously, he was joking, but I was like, that's pretty cool. I know that's right. Go ahead. So um, let me go to you, Charles, first. What were your thoughts in terms of the announcement of the player of the year? Any um, concerns you saw on the list? Any updates? Uh, particular, not only just those selected as the player of the year, but maybe in terms of first team, second team announcement? Uh, I- I thought it was actually uh, really fair uh, when you take a look at it. I think what you will hear from a lot of Jackson State fans, and we heard, heard with Coach Prime, uh, and they were really pushing hard for Shador Sanders to be Offensive Player of the Year uh, in terms of what he's been able to get done this year over a quill blast. So uh, I've been getting texts and, and, and inbox a lot from our Jackson State fans, and I'm sure they'll chime in here as well. But uh, Jackson State chat boards were really lit up and were uh, people were a little upset and chagrined that uh, basically uh, Jackson State didn't have any first-team offensive uh, players uh, on that uh, first team. Yeah, I thought the wide receivers, you could see some first-team, but the the rate was so high in terms of the competition sure. of who was going to get those two slots. Um, mm-hmm. And for Shadour, I think you could have made an argument. Yeah. In terms of how I would have voted, I would have went with a kill glass, and I would have I, I would admit that I would have had some bias from his career stats yeah. and almost from his senior position. And I know it's a one year, so that may be you know some biasness on my part. But I certainly think there's there could be an argument uh, at the end of the day. So I think uh, even though you talk about fans being fanatics, I think Jackson State fans certainly could be up in regards to being able to make the case uh, that it was a close competition. But as you said, I can see it going either way and would not have lost any sleep personally seeing it go in any way. But I see the points that were made out there. Mike, what are your thoughts on this in terms Uh, of those key players and or maybe first, second team? uh, Any concern with you? You hear Jack and State fans or you hear anything from Prairie fans in terms of the number of players they may have gotten wrong? Yeah, I've heard – you know, you know, aches on a number of a couple of number of players um, uh, from the preview side. But first, let me I echo that you can make the argument that Shador Sanders, you know, could have been, you know, offensive player of the year. You know, you wonder what the criteria is. You look at statistics. Do you also look at how the team finished and that player's role in how the team finished? So you look at the criteria. The other thing I, I kind of, you know, wondered is can you make an argument for Juwan Pass? to be newcomer of the year. So with arguably James Houston, you know, you know, regular season, you know, dominant, dominant lineman without question. But if you look at passing and if you look at statistics, there's Shaquille, there's uh, Akil Glass, there's uh, Sanders, and then there's uh, Juwan Pass. So could you make an argument for him being a uh, newcomer of the year as well? So just. That's yeah, I like that. Interesting. It's appropriate that these two players, I mean, these two teams that are playing in this championship game are looking at these arguments in terms of displacement 
of how close maybe the votes were in terms of uh, flipping a spot or two in terms of some of these folks headlining the postseason honors. So I think that's fascinating when you talk about that, it went there. Um, I, I, I would like to say that I, I think that you could make those type of arguments. Yes, Charles. I, I think the one that keeps coming up, especially with regards to the offense play of the year with Quill and Shador was how did Aquil perform against the top two defenses in the sweat? Right. Uh, Jackson State and Florida a &M. So that was a repetitive theme that kept coming up in regards to uh, a, a, a nod in the favor of Yeah, but I think in terms of that, that's going back to Mike's question is like, what do you use? What is the criteria? And the thing mm -hmm. about the criteria is the sports information directors and the coaches. And it's subjective. It's what they want to use. So you could have some coaches that use the head-to-head. Shador would get the nod. But if you use in terms of statistics, Glass would get the nod Glass in terms of what he put up. He didn't get the victory, yeah. but he put up the numbers. So, again, it depends on what you use as your personal criteria. And there's no set to say how each one of these votes. And that's where it opens up because you have coaches that are going to use whatever unique formula they use. Um, and some of them are just going to use the eye test. Let's be honest, sometimes these coaches are not necessarily voting. They use an assistant coach or SID to vote on both sides. And so they may not even be using that much output. It is what it is. I think at the bottom line, when you see uh, the fact of the number of players at the top, it makes sense of who were uh, the top teams, uh, especially when you look at the divisions, arguably um, the Eastern division, well, it's not even arguably in my opinion, how talented they were. Uh, but also in terms of the top teams in each of those divisions of the number of players that are out there. But also I think it spreads out across the board of how a lot of teams had at least one or two players letting you know the talent that is all across the stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Let's go to this quick break so we can get back into it. Uh, we have a guest coming up in this second quarter, uh, and we'll be right back after this quick break. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. Shop Velvet Online Women's Boutique to spice up your closet with trendy, unique looks. We have fashionable and chic looks at very affordable prices. Velvet Boutique offers free shipping all year long on all orders. Shop online at www.melvetboutique.com. That's www.melvetboutique.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Shop Velvet Online Women's Boutique. Press the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna love that and who the ball. So listen to Professor Yes Sir and pay attention. This is Dr. Gaville with Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Bosch and Charles Bishop. Uh, as we went out of the break, I wanted to talk about Lincoln Missouri High's veteran HBCU assistant as head coach. Jermaine Gales, HBCU.com, giving you that information, talking about offensive coordinators and those that 
should be in line for head coaching jobs, guess who we got? We get to interview Jack State offense coordinator, co-offense coordinator, specialization, I don't know, whatever, quarterback, coach, whatever you want to call him, he's talented. That is none other than Coach T.C. Taylor. How you doing, Coach? I'm, do I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Welcome to the lab. Let's get in here. Oh, yeah. Let's do some cooking. Because, uh, man, your offense is doing things. For those that do not know about your background, let's share a little bit about that. We're not going to insult all the folks out there, but there's some that may not know. Go ahead and tell a little bit about where you're from and uh, how you connected and got into coaching. Uh, originally from Macomb, Mississippi. Uh, you know, that's debatable. Some say Magnolia, down south, 55 <laughs> here from Jackson. So I have to be careful with that, you know, but I went to South Pike High School. Uh, but uh, just getting into the coaching game, you know, uh, came to Jack State as a player, finished up here and uh, went to the league. Uh, NFL had some time with the Patriots, got done there and just trying to figure it out once I was done. And, you know, got a call about a, a job at Cahoma Community College, you know, a startup deal. Hadn't had a lot of success. So I'm like, never thought about coaching. And that's where it all began for me, man. And, and once I got up there and got around those kids and I'm like, this is okay. You know, this is what I want to do. I want to give back. You know, my whole life has been surrounded by football, you know, from a little kid on up and it's just taking off from it. And from there, uh, Dr. Kaville, you know, I ended up with that, with uh, Coach Asbury over at Texas Southern. You know, I've been around the swag, been at uh, North Carolina Central, been at some good places and just, you know, it's been a great run and it's steady going. Yeah, that previous stop over there at North Carolina Central broke all those records for total offense, single season, 4,614 yards. Uh, you, you've, you've done it all at an extremely high level. But what mm -hmm. is your philosophy as we're talking about offensively? Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, we talk about Shador Sanders, yeah. you know, in terms of yeah. being the freshman quarterback of the year. Yeah, The talent was there. People were questioning in terms of star status. May have started off a little slow. Then there was a slight chance position, a break, and he seemed to zoom without question after that. What is your yeah. philosophy on offensively? Anytime that I, I get the opportunity or a blessing to call plays, the first thing I like to do is sit down and see what the personnel is like. You know, what are my players going to allow me to do? You know, I'm not a guy that carries this playbook around with me and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to hang our head on and do that. No, it doesn't work like that. You know, I like to sit down and see what type of players I have. And then I try to fit a system in place in order for those guys to be successful. Like I tell those guys, I can draw up plays all day. You know, it, my mind is steady to ticking with football, but you guys have to go out there and execute it. I was telling the guys earlier today, I probably couldn't even get dressed in some of the equipment, the, the, the upgrades to the equipment and the way, you know, the technology is now. So, my blessing and my gift to you guys is just to give you the plays. You go, you guys go out there and execute it. With Shador, he's so smart, so intelligent. As far as being a freshman, he's so ahead of the game. You know, wow. you really can just kind of op open things up for him. You know, and, and at times, you know, he may get a little held up. You know, as things get to moving fast. But once he catches a groove, I catch my groove. And that's how it's, you know, been the blessing with he and I going um, – you know, thus far, week in, week out. So I just like to make sure I'm not doing too much for the kids and doing what they allow me to do. You know, don't want to give them too much on their plates. So I just officially got a little nervous about Saturday. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> with, that, with that being said, 
all seriousness, uh, uh, my brother Kwame Kavil, wide receiver, uh, coming out of college, um, certainly looked at uh, HBCUs. He found the light and went over there to Texas. That's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. But um, he has that mindset too, at the high school level, getting a chance to coach. Yeah. But uh, sitting down with these playbooks, man, I would love to get you all two together uh, to talk about playbooks and I just get to sit back and put my pen and, and get a different perspective of what it really means to be in the locker room and understand play college at a different mm-hmm. level schematically. I don't think people quite yeah. understand, you know, as fans, and I'm one of them, I'm with this about, you know, seeing some things on films or hearing some sport talk and they tell me you need to do this just because we play at the high school level, some yeah. unfortunately play at the college level. Uh, but even mm-hmm. those that went to the professional level where they have to study, it's so unique and different when you have to really become a professional mm-hmm. at understanding schematically what it means to come up with a game plan, what it means to evaluate talent. Um, and I'm not asking you to break that down because I'm going to share the mic and I'll let like, Charles to talk about that. But I, I really wanted to get that out there in terms of the professional component of what it means to be a coach. Yeah, I think it's a true art to it, you know, real quick on that. Uh, I, I think it's a true art to it. And I'm going to go back and I don't wow. want to sound like I'm repeating myself, but it, you really have to lean on what your players can do for you. You know, I have trunks of playbooks, you know, that I've collected and just data just putting together, you know. But if I, if I got a dual threat guy, why would I go out there and do some pocket things with him? You know, I mm-hmm. want him to be the best player on the field every weekend and then – uh, Chuck and I have talked about this. Uh, it gets to a point in the game where um, you may, I may have this game plan right here ready to go for this weekend. All right, but then yes. I know at some point in the game, I got to find who's ready to make a play. Mm-hmm. You know, who has that looking out? Who's the guy I can go to to go make a play? Because, you know, when we get held up here, it's not smooth sailing every time calling plays. You know, it's all about your rhythm. Your, your players got to be in rhythm with you, what, what you call it. And I'm going to tell you the biggest thing is trust. You know, when you over there, you're looking like you're kind of confused and they, they don't trust what you're calling, then you got a problem as a play caller. You just got to make them believe in what you're giving them. The information is solid and sound. Man, I appreciate you jumping in there sharing with us. That's, that's beautiful. Charles, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, TC, I, we, we talked uh, tremendously about just your philosophy and the way you go about looking at games and how you attack teams. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you know, uh, about uh, was Prairie View. Uh, just taking a look at this team overall, this opponent that Jackson State has is coming up Saturday. What are some things uh, that really uh, jump out with you looking at them on film? Uh, they're they're Coach, now, this is being recorded. Be careful now, though. You know, no, that's all right. Give it all out. Uh, and let and let me let me correct. It's not this team that they're playing. It's the prayer view that they're playing. I just <laughs> I, I just want to I just want to correct. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Coach. All right, I'm, I'm gonna answer the question though. Here we go. <laughs> but no, uh, it's a good football team. You know, it, they're they're the West uh, Division champs for a reason. You know, they're a good football team. I think a lot of their defensive line. I think that's the, uh, one of their strengths on the defensive side of the ball. You talk about a kid like Dumas, uh, number one. Uh, number eight in there, those guys are cat quick. And like I told those guys, our guys, they play with penetration. You know, they want to get on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage. So we got to be – the game is won and lost in the trenches. You know, and I think that's where they do a good job of, you know, controlling the line of scrimmage as a D-line. They got two good safeties over there I think a lot of, two very active football players, I think all conference guys um, that's all over the football field. 
you know. So the most impressive thing about them, though, to me, all 11 do a good job of getting to the football. I love guys that play hard, you know, and that's what they do. They're going to get 11 guys to the football, 11 hats to the football. They're pretty sound on defense. Um, not very big in stature, like I said, on the D-line, but they play with a lot of quickness, a lot of force and you know, speed. So I'm really looking forward to the challenge. You know, we got some bigger bodies up front. Um, see if we can get them covered up and try to establish the run and just get some things going early on. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, uh, Coach DC. So, uh, kind of, man, you have an impressive resume. I just want to say, glad to have you on the, on this show personally. Thank you. Uh, all jokes aside, it's an honor. So, uh, you, with your extensive experience, you know, you, you have younger players. You know, if this was a gumbo, what elements or what ingredients from your past, you know, whether it be NFL, your playing experience, what elements or, or ingredients have you taken from your past experience and infused into the offense that you see now at Jackson State, which averages 30 points a game, number two in the swag, if anything? Mm-hmm. You talked about the right relationship and trust. What other elements from your past have you infused into this offense, this offensive juggernaut that we see? This is, uh, I got two things that I like to talk about with my guys is passion. I played the game with passion. You got to play with your heart. Each and every play, you can't get complacent. You got to give, it, give me that each and every play. And the next thing I talk about is if you're not smiling, we're not playing well. I love mm. football players that's out there having fun. Uh, if they're on the sidelines mm. smiling, having fun, playing carefree, then we can dial it up all day. But once we get tight, things not going as well, those frowns start showing, you know, it gets kind of tough. So that's why I try to keep them up as best as possible, whether it's good or bad. But we like I like to call it a party on the sideline, you know, but a good, clean party. I want a good, clean fun. But if we're having fun and play with passion, I played the game with a tremendous passion for the game. You know, I would tear up as a player. I still do now as a coach, you know, because at times I'd be like, I wish I could just get out there and go out there and help <laughs> these guys. You know, it's just that's me being a former player. <laughs> Love it. You know, and that, that'll love never it. go away for me. You know, I love to win football games, you know, and I tell, tell the guys all the time, you don't know how hard it is to win football games. You know, this this thing is done from mm. Sunday through Friday trying to win football games. Then I get even smaller and more technical with it. It's hard getting first downs. Yeah. <laughs> you mm. know what I'm saying? So sure. we can't do that as a tense offense. We can't do that if we're not having fun. We can't do that if we're not uh, cheering on our brother that's on the field. You know, so my thing is that passion and uh, having fun each and every play. Right, I like that because it's not like you're out there just doing your routes and throwing. Oh, you got a team that is countering chess, you know, not checkers, where folks no are doing something to stop you. Uh, you know, exactly. and that's the whole chess mess about trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and playing with that passion. A lot of, I, I do want to have a question because of the way you talk about schematically the game of football. Um, mm-hmm. And Academically, being a connoisseur uh, and at the university, you know, going to class for yourself, multiple degrees in terms of what you did. What are your thoughts about designing a curriculum that really talks about, in this case, football, uh, where you schematically look at the game? You know, we have degrees out there that talk about developing leadership, coaching leadership. Mm-hmm. We have degrees out there, sport management, the business side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have athletic training or kinesiology, the physical. But I haven't seen, at least in the U.S., the framework of creating a curriculum directly related to 
a sport, in this case, your expertise, you know, football, where you look at offense, defense, and breaking down even offense from a position perspective, offensive line, yeah. is that possible if you brought in an expert that did it at that level that could uh, help design a academic program from that framework? Mm-hmm. I'm all about that. Uh, I think that's a great question, a great uh deal right there for us implementing that kind of deal because you got a lot of guys that once they're done with school and playing the game and then they get into coaching it's a lot of learning on the fly Mm. so what better way to get them more prepared you know with tutelage along those four years and and let them uh what am I trying to say here saying that it's credible that that's a credible deal because Mm. I, I look at it like this you got a lot of people that will tell you man you just coach (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they don't really realize what goes into it, the stresses, you know, uh, the day-to-day grind and the um, the thought process. There's some creative minds in the game, you know, and I think we can get so far, for, uh, so much further ahead if we do implement those kind of things because the only real time we really get that kind of stuff is like in the off-season, you go visit places, you know, or you got the convention that's once a year and you're getting that kind of knowledge, but to have a curriculum like that, I'm all about that because I think it would make for better coaches. And then, you know, when that time comes, you got brothers that would be further ahead coming straight out of college because everybody can't go to the league. I know you don't have a lot of off time, but let's talk about that. Once the okay. season is completed and transitions are made or whatever, let's sit down and talk about that. And I'll bring these guys along in terms of, of what that looks like, because that's my next push that I've been pushing for, but now I have the expertise and people that I can get that I think can develop that. I know, Charles, you want to sneak another question in there. And as you yeah. do that, Taylor, after answering that question, uh, okay. follow up by telling us anything that we didn't ask you that you want to share. But go ahead, Charles. Coach, let, let me ask this question, because I'm always curious about this. Uh, uh, okay. What is it like to, to, to be in uh, the zone, if you will, as a play caller? Or, or when you have that aha moment, like, oh, this is working. What, what, what is that feeling like? <laughs> ah, man. I can tell you, uh, uh, what well, it was a couple weeks weeks ago, uh, the A&M game a few weeks back, you know, mm. and I, it's nothing like when you hit the groove. I mean, it's basically you can just take that play sheet and just put it in your back pocket because you know everybody's on the same page. And that's what kind of what it was that day. Um, and it's like I just said, it's all about rhythm. You look at Steph Curry, when he gets hot, he's hot. <laughs> when mm. a play caller gets hot, they're hot, you know, and it's nothing like it. And um, the, I think the, the the biggest thing for me is knowing, like, after a game like that, I know defensive coordinators study, too. So if you take a game like that, and we went, I think it was for, what, 60-plus 60, 60 points that game. Sure. I knew from then on that it was going to be struggles in and out, ups and downs, because they get paid, too. Right. You know, and that was my first week doing it. but And I knew that was going to be the challenge for me. You know, not after this game. I know I can call plays. I've done it for a while now. The challenge was going to be, how do I continue this mm. weekend? We got, you know, the chess match, which you're going back to uh, what we said earlier, the adjustments you have to make at halftime. I think that's where the real art of play calling comes in. When you practice things the whole for the whole week, getting you ready for Saturdays, and then you got some really good D coordinators come out there and give you something totally different. Sure. What's the adjustment you're going to make to win the game? I don't, And I don't mean to get off the question, but there's nothing like when you hit the zone because, like, there, no matter what they give you defensively, 
you know, you're preparing. And that's what the zone is, is preparation. You know, mm. when you hit the zone, that's mm. a prepared coordinator, period, point blank. He's done his homework all week, and he's ready to go against the, whoever that is on the other sideline. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Mike, you. did you want to sneak a quick one in real quick? I saw you. Yeah. <clears throat> let, let me uh, – my question is a little bit on the opposite side. You know, how mm. do you – how do you infuse in your players situations where you got to handle adversity? Although you haven't seen much of it this, you know, this year because you won 95%. But should you encounter adversity, you're behind – your team's not doing, you know, how do you handle that? How do you infuse that into your players to handle adverse situations in a big game? You, you practice situations throughout the week. You know, that, that's where the game is won and lost in practice to me. So say, for instance, I got this play that's going to uh, design to beat cover four, basically. So in uh, the preparation through the week, I'm going to give him cover three. <laughs> you okay. know, get a quarterback cover three. I got you. Just to see how he handles that situation because we're preparing for cover four. But like I said, these D coordinators are getting smarter and they're studying film as well. So I try to get those guys in those situations throughout the week. And then the next thing is, regardless, trust me to make the adjustment. Trust these offensive coaches to make the adjustments. If I continue to send you out there with that same thing and we continue to fail, that's a problem on me. That's my fault. And that's one thing I'm quick to do to help those kids deal with adversity. I'll take blame when it's my fault. Gotcha. You know, and I expect mm -hmm. them to do the same thing. But when it's not going the right way, I say, give me time. We'll get it fixed. Trust what I'm giving you. Let's make the adjustment. We go from there. But to answer your question, it's done throughout the week. I put them in those type situations. So when the game come here, yeah, coach, you said that they might do this. So we're already ready for that situation. You know oh, what I'm saying? You. So that's how we kind of prepare us for that, um, you know, the week prior. All right. Thanks, coach. My awesome. producer's in my ear, so I'm going to get in trouble, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you uh, a couple of minutes to say anything that we didn't ask you that you want to share to our viewership. Uh, just want to, this weekend, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, this championship game being held here at Jackson, the Jackson State University, man. I'm anxious to see the crowds. Uh, it's going to be huge. And I, I, I'm going to say this, too. Like, this is a special run for me because I'm going to tell you this. I was in the MEAC conference, and I went to the celebration bowl as a coordinator, and here it is now. I done jumped over in the swag and has an opportunity to go to the celebration bowl as a coordinator. And this time I plan on finishing the deal. I don't want to say sound cocky when I say that, but that's what it means to me. You know, I believe in my HBCUs. I love my HBCUs. I'm a product of HBCUs. And, you know, and I believe HBCU football. So I'm excited about this whole deal. I'm just excited about, you know, the future in, in itself. Wow. Man, you talk about having fun. I see there it is. on You talk about being home. I saw it. I like that smile. But uh, that's like what it's it. supposed to be. It's, it's supposed to be. A, you deserve that. You earn it. We want to say thank you for your time. I know your schedule is busy. You got to get to it because mm -hmm. you are preparing as well for that championship run uh, this no weekend. Doubt. Hopefully we, we can do our part in making sure that uh, it's not all fun, but we'll see what that means. But in all good candidates, I do want to say go Tigers. Get it done. Go, uh, I appreciate go, that, man. Go Tigers. Guys, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> we go into this break, Dr. Liz. Okay. No, staff. thanks, Coach. Appreciate, appreciate you. Coach Taylor. Take care. Hey, good to have you. I appreciate everything y'all do for HBCUs, man. Let's keep this energy going, man. I appreciate you guys, man. You can count on that. For sure. All right. Y'all take right care. Thanks for having me. After this Thanks, break. Coach. All right. Take care.
Nice move. Another shot. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service with Slowburn. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. It's more than a mobile lounge, it's an environment and an experience rich in history luxury and personality an elegant extension of any celebration occasion it's the perfect escape and meeting place a space where you can relax or enjoy a shared passion have slow burn plan your next big event or before you are planning to celebrate your win over your athletic rivals you can shop our collections at www.slowburnwaco.com but if they want to tap, uh, I'ma do the dab, yeah. Press the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot, yeah. And who the ball, who the ball. So listen to Professor, uh, yes sir, yes sir. And pay attention, cause he gon' teach a This is Dr. Ville with Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Hope you enjoyed that interview. T.C. Taylor showing you what it means to be a coordinator in at the collegiate level, particularly participating with an HBCU and that connection. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. With that, let's get in this mid-major poll. No changes uh, week 13 other than the record by Bowie State Bulldogs. Obviously, it's a far-gone conclusion that they will win Dr. Bill's inside HBCU mid-major division football poll ranking. But I did want to do courtesy because the Bulldogs are still playing. If you have not heard by now, that means you've been asleep. And not a follow HBCU sports, but we're going to do our due diligence and acknowledge, as we did from Sunday, Bulldogs are going into the third round, which is officially the quarterfinals. Uh, final eight teams coming out of the region. Regional championship is on the line. They will be playing the number one team by the State Blazers that won a championship a couple of years ago. But Bowie State Bulldogs coming in 12-1, 7-0. Obviously reminds you in terms of the championship run, and when I say championship, Winston-Salem State, that they played in the championship game, uh, the Rams, uh, about a decade ago, led by Coach Maynard. That's obviously with Alabama and the Bulldogs that won the championship in the spring. Just how amazing these things connected. But it'll be fascinating to see what takes place in this matchup. But the Bulls State Bulldogs go to 12-1-7-0, 10 first-place votes, number one. Let's go to the mid-major poll. Then uh, we can get your thoughts on that. Uh, looking at the top five, no real changes in the bottom six, 10 through six here. North Carolina A&T remains at 10. At number nine, you have Hampton Pirates at five and six, three and four at number nine. Number eight, North Carolina State Spartans, six and five, two and three, 34 points. At number seven, Alcorn State Braves, six and five, five and three. At number six, you have North Carolina Central Eagles sitting at six and five, four and one. Getting us to the top five, Prairie View falls a spot after the loss to Mississippi Valley. Kudos to Mississippi Valley. Uh, in terms of putting another check mark in the Eastern Division in terms of how they dominate 
the West this year. It'll be interesting to see data points and Mike says how that will look next year. At number four, South Carolina State Bulldogs, although they didn't play, they move up a spot six and five, five and zero. Uh, they were already in the Celebration Bowl by winning the MEAC. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like against either Jackson State or Prairie Bay A&M Panthers, which brings us to number three, Alabama A&M Bulldogs, 7-3-5 and 3-99 points. You have number two, Florida A&M Rattlers, 9-3-7-1. They do have a loss in the, the FCS playoffs, 117 points. They lose a couple of points, but they hold on to the two spot. Brings us to number one, Jackson State Tigers, 10-1, 8-0, 13 points, 130 points. Uh, all first place votes clearly at this point, the number one team, and they go in holding that number one ranking, which will be a one versus five ranking according to our poll in the SWAC championship game. Charles, thoughts? You know, I'm going to give a ceremony of others receiving votes. The job Vince Danzi does at Mississippi Valley State University, if he could have gotten a fifth win out there somewhere, it would have been interesting to see if Valley could uh, crack into the top 10 at least. Uh, but uh, and I think Coach Prime talked about it at the press conference, just the job that Dancy has done and to watch it up close this past weekend. Uh, Valley plays you tooth and nail. They play you hard. They play fam, you hard. They play Jackson State hard. They play everybody so doggone hard week in, week out. And to see them have a, a modicum of success, that was huge for Vince Dancy, and he was very deserving of that contract extension. I agree with that totally. And I can tell you now, yeah, if you would have got that fifth win when A&T sitting at five and six, Hampton at five and six, and with one of those wins being over Central and probably would have been over like a uh, FAMU, Jackson State, some of the closest game they had at home, uh, Alcorn, if they would have picked up one of those wins over those type of teams that yeah. were in the top ten, no doubt, they would have found their way not only receiving votes, but they would have been in the top ten. Great point. I'm glad you pointed that out. And I agree with you. Congratulations, Coach Danzi, on the contract extension. Congratulations to the AD that I thought I got it right, that gave it, got it done, the contract extension before the last game <laughs> in terms of putting the stamp, uh, taking those players out of the transfer portal and saying, hey, we're moving in the right direction. Mike, your thoughts in terms of poll ranking? A <clears throat> uh, couple of things. Uh, Valley, I will say it. I'm not going, Valley, Valley. <laughs> I'm not going to do that today. I saw them play a whole game from quarter to quarter to quarter to quarter. They played tough. They, they That defensive line was tenacious. Um, you know, Prairie View, I think, had like 80 yards on rushing. They're, they're, they dominated the line of scrimmage without question par excellence. So uh, this is a team that's on the up and up. So I recant a little bit of that. Uh, I wish you'd, you'd like to see them get a few more wins, but I will recant that. Okay, Valley fans, there you have it. That's about all you get. So... Uh, <laughs> But hats off to coach. Hats off to coach Danzy. Uh, again, I can't say that enough. The only the other thing is you have South Carolina State up in the top five. Okay, they're going to the, they're going to the Celebration Bowl, uh, but they didn't. Their their major game was Jackson State, which put sixty one on them, I believe. Um, oh, Alabama A and M. So. They, you know, if you look at strength of schedule as part of this poll, you know, I, I don't know because Prairie View had Texas A&M. They had a tough University Incarnate Word that is in the playoffs. So That's if, fair. if you look at strength of schedule as part of this poll, you know, it would kind of order a reshuffling of the poll, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's my only point with South Carolina State. Uh, they have come on a little late. No, I think that's a, I think that's a 
fair analysis and a great point. And there is a strength of um, opponents and scheduling in the poll. But also, I think you got to be open to the fact in terms of when those losses took place. Yep. And so sometimes your scheduling just works out for you. You know, they've won five in a row after they took some of those losses. So it could be a component of the scheduling, frankly, less of talent, or it could be the fact that they they improved. But you're right. When you look in the totality of their schedule, you do have the questions in terms, not only the loss to Alabama A&M, frankly, the tough shutout loss uh, to FAMU. But you also got to think about both of those games were on the road. Um, And so how much do you weigh a road loss uh, versus – home win, but throwing Cookman in terms of those kind of things. And frankly, just when you win. But I would imagine if South Carolina State continues to roll, they win, they get a win over a Prairie View, which is going to be a top five team, or Jackson State, which is the number one team in the celebration. Somehow they're able to pull it off. Then all of a sudden it justifies that ranking and they move up a little bit. If they get trapped in the celebration bowl, the bottom's going to fall out. They're going to fall precipitously from five. So you also got to look at this in a moment in time, not in regards to uh, where teams are going to finish based on what takes take going on. Uh, and so those are things that you kind of kind of would consider. With that, let's get into our last break. We'll be right back after this, and we'll talk about this championship match. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. Compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they're going to tell you if your team, if they want a lot of about so listen to Professor Yes, sir. Yes, sir. and pay attention yes. and he going to teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside HBC Sports Lab with Professor Bishop, Professor Washington, breaking down these matchups. Let's start. Uh, as we said, Bishop, the Bowie State, I should say the Bulldogs uh, go up against Valdosta State Blazers. That's 12-1 and one overall, 7 from the conference race. Yeah, the Blazers at a 10-1, 6-1. Mike, what are your thoughts in terms of this quarterfinal matchup uh, between the number one team in the nation and obviously the number one team at the mid-major level in my poll ranking, Bowie State? Yeah, I think I think you know they they're getting up to that next level. Valdosta State is is really tough <laughs> uh, on both sides of the ball, so this is going to be a a tremendous step for Bowie State. Um, I think they they beat uh, was it Newberry. Was it 10, 13 to 10? I, th- I don't think any team scored in the first half. And they, uh, Bowie State ended up pulling it out 13 to 10. I think they'll lean a little bit more from their offense from the start of the game because this Valdosta State team is an awesome team. So um, we, we'll see. I, I, I don't want to uh, say that Valdosta State has it, but they're heavily favored for a reason. So it, it'll be a good matchup. Go, go ahead, Charles. I'm sorry. No, I, I agree with you. It'll be a tremendous matchup. And I think the thing that uh, assistant coach uh, touched on when he was on uh, Sunday, uh, Bowie State's not going to be in awe uh, of Valdosta State like they were prior uh, to playing Valdosta State. So I think that's that's something that, that uh, 
tips into their favor in terms of uh, not being uh, uh, scared of the moment, if you will, in terms of taking on uh, this perennial blue blood in Valdosta State. Uh, for me, can Bowie State get the run up and going? Khalil Wilkins, that, that's going to be huge for them in terms of, of keeping this uh, Valdosta State offense off the field and kind of controlling the clock. And let Jerome, uh, James, uh, uh, Jerome Johnson. Uh, continue to be who he is, uh, a quarterback that can get it done, uh, not only with his arm, but with, it, with his legs as well, and really give defenses fits. But uh, it's, it's it's a tough go trying to get the win in Valdosta. Yeah, it's going to hinge on on Jerome Johnson and, and, and that running game, or, or at least a balance to keep Valdosta's offense off the field, for sure. I like that. Great points you both make there. And not to pick on the Rattlers, because it's certainly they deserve to be there in terms of the playoffs. But I do like the point that the Bulldogs have been in the playoffs, uh, maybe not all the players there. First, they won a couple of rounds in the playoffs. Yeah, they had the comfort of being at home, but they've been in it. And you have the resume of the program most recently being in the playoffs, even with them going down to Boston State and playing it. So you kind of point on that. I would like to uh, talk about the point that you make, Mike, in regards to um, the toughness of the players' defense. Um, while they're solid, I think there's some holes in that defense, and I don't know how much of that is a credit to uh, the offense of putting all those points and just the fact that they may be on the field a lot more, but they give up points. They usually yep. have a lot more points on offense. So it's going to be that unique balance And when you talk about how much of that is just what happens to the offense and how much can be attributed to playing a team such as Louis that's pretty solid defense, which is kind of what we saw with the FAMU uh, when you talk about Southeastern. Yeah, the defense offense. And you saw that Southeastern was able to get its will in terms of defensive side. And the health of Jerome Johnson going forward. I mean, I, I know he got a little dinged up in, in the Newberry yeah. game, but uh, that, yeah. that's going to be huge for Bowie this upcoming weekend. Yeah, getting into that, that's one thing I think you got to look at when you talk about this championship matchup with uh, Jackson State and Prairie View. Prairie View going into Jackson uh, to play that matchup. There's some question in terms of the health of uh, Prairie View terms of being banged up um, on both sides of the ball. It's going to be fascinating. Jackson State had that extra week uh, to maybe rest and maybe heal a couple of nicks in there. Obviously, they're playing really well regardless of that. But that's one of the things that's fascinating to me. I'm going to stick with you, Mike. What are your thoughts in terms of that championship matchup between Prairie View and Jackson State? East, West? Yeah, I think you hit it on the nail. I think Prairie View had a tough schedule going up to Texas A&M and then playing a very tough Mississippi Valley team. Um, and they they have a few dings on it for sure. Um, I think I think they will get the team ready. I think the team has 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 focused this week. Um, you talk to members of the cast of uh, 1876 who've talked with players uh, personally, and they're ready. They're up for the game. I think the key, if you look at X's and O's, is you know can we keep Shador and that offense off off the field. You know, or can we make them one-dimensional? Jackson State averages 90 yards a game on the run. Uh, they seem to be seemingly are much stronger on the pass. Can the defense get after uh, Jackson uh, Shadur Sanders? Um, the other thing you have to look at is, even though they're outsized, I, you heard Coach, you know, alluding to it, the Panthers are a fast-moving defense. They're quick, they're agile, they're defense. Can they maximize that effort during during part of this game? So, uh, there are lots of moving elements that I could spend all day. I know we're pressed for time, but there are lots of moving effort. The thing is, can the, can the Panthers get healed enough uh, in some of the key positions, and can they get motivated enough to really, you know, put a hold or at least limit that high-powered Jackson State offense? 
which is number two. And Good stuff, Mike. Save so, a little bit because we're gonna take a real deep dive and spend more than half of the show on Thursday. Oh, I'm, get, this match. I'm getting too I just kind of wanted to tease some folks, but that's a great point. Like you said, you could go in, but I want you to take that deep dive. We're just gonna do it on Thursday. Want to tease a little bit, get people prepped. You know, that's how football makes it. You know, you kind of lather up throughout the week until the kickoff. That's what makes football special. But let me go to Charles and get him to provide some framework, uh, as I'm sure he'll take a deep dive, not only here on Thursday, but with the pregame show. He's really going to go inside the dome. Well, go ahead, Charles. Shine for us a little bit now. Yeah, I think it's huge that Jackson State has had a week off. The last time uh, we saw Jackson State uh, with – uh, a couple of weeks to prepare for an opponent. They put up 61 points on Alabama a and One of the things that I've gotten an opportunity to watch up close is the way this staff makes tr- uh, adjustments during the course of the game. It is phenomenal to sit back and watch, to get the input in from the players that they rely on, and then go about the process of, of making schematic adjustments and things of that nature during the course of the game or real time. Uh, it is a fascinating thing to watch. And I think TC touched on it. You know, he likes to see uh, what guys are playing with smiles, you know, or having fun out there. And that's one of the things that I've had an opportunity to watch with this Jackson State team. It becomes a feeding frenzy. One good play begets another big play, begets another big play, and it becomes a feeding frenzy. And then that defense uh, gets out there, and they feed off of the energy, they feed off the energy of the crowd. So it it, it, it all goes together. And this Jackson State defense, and, and Neely and I are going to probably touch on this on Saturday, is one going is one of the more historic Jackson State defenses that we've ever seen from a statistical standpoint. Uh, they are uh, a completely fly around. He talked about eleven hats being around the ball. I think that could be one of the storylines of the game in terms of the way they get after you, stopping the run first, then getting after the quarterback. Great breakdown, early breakdown. Like I said, we'll go in Thursday, really uh, go in each segment of the game. We'll talk about the offense matchup, Prairie View versus uh, Jackson State. Then we'll talk about the defense reverse matchup, uh, Jackson State versus Prairie View. We'll look at special teams. So we'll take even more of a deep dive. So make sure you Tune in for us on Thursday. That'll do it for us tonight. Thank you for listening to Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends. And I am Dr. Niyadaka Lil, the Dean of HBCU Sports from Inside the HBCU Lab, College of HBCU Sports with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. Hope you enjoyed our guests with Coach T.C. Taylor, Offensive Coordinator of Jackson State University. It's like they like to stay around those parts, the Jackson State University. Again, we want to thank you for listening to Dr. Bill's Inside HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington of the Prairie View University, as he likes to say, Jackson State. I mean, Charles Bishop of the Jackson State University. Tuesday and Thursday, right here at 6 o'clock Central Standard Time. We look forward to next week um, as we get into it. When I say next week, we're talking about Thursday as we get it going. Follow me, Dr. Nyadaka Bill, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's D R K E N Y A T T A C A V I L. That's D R. K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's Inside HBC Sports Lab 1 on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube is Inside HBC Sports Lab. Make sure you check out the 1876 Sports and Culture podcast that drops tomorrow morning. Look out for three the pregame show. They'll drop tidbits all week long, and then they're going to get you inside the game. I'm talking about a big game, the SWAT Championship game 2021 in Jackson, Mississippi. Don't get quite much bigger than that. With a celebration bowl on the line. Shout out to John Grant in terms of what will be going on in Atlanta. Will Deion go home to Atlanta? 
or will there be in many people's eyes a major upset from the Panthers saying they're going to crash the party and they get back to Atlanta when they were there last time with that next whack challenge uh, uh, where they had a great matchup against North Carolina. So it'll be fascinating to see because everybody has their opinion on who's going to get it done, why, who's going to get it done. But we'll tell you our thoughts on Thursday. Stick with us. We'll be right back. With that being said, dream big. Continue to move forward. We will talk with you soon. Charles. Of course. Mike. Lecture. Dismissed.